Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Another hot summer is building on the worries about climate change, and the impact has begun to hit Wall Street. The best example is in California, where Pacific Gas and Electric has filed for bankruptcy in the wake of last summer's devastating wildfires. The stock has gone from 60 to less than 20, and it's forcing fascinating questions for shareholders, bondholders, politicians, and policymakers. I'm Alex Yule. Welcome to The Readback. Today, I'm joined by Alexander Skaggs, who has just written a fascinating story on the saga of PG&E. Hey, Alex. Hi. Thanks for having me. Where does the story all start? Oh, man. Uh, Good question. So it's a very long story, but I think probably the best place to start is in 2017. In the fall of 2017, there were a lot of really destructive fires in California. The wildfires in Northern California are now the deadliest in the state's modern history. A ton of damage, lives were lost, really serious, really, really tragic. This is an aerial shot of a fire in San Diego County that shows how devastating these fires are in neighborhoods. You can see dozens of homes on fire, just unbelievable. So what that ended up leading to was really large and growing amount of liabilities against PG&E, which is the electric power utility in California, because its equipment was found to have started the fires. So these aren't fires happening necessarily from a campsite where someone burned wood. Yeah. It's like a tree branch falling or, um, you know, one of the hooks on a transformer was found to be broken. And, you know, you pair that with the dry conditions, high winds, and a lot of just dry, like, underbrush-type growth. and, And it ends up leading to really destructive wildfires. And this has happened a couple summers in a row now, right? Yeah, so 2017 and 2018 were two of the most destructive wildfire seasons on record in California. And they did include, uh, in Northern California, the two most destructive individual wildfires in history. At Barron's, as these devastating forest fires were raging through California last summer, I mean, I remember really struggling with both how we were covering it and how we were thinking about it, because at the end of the day, we write about stocks. And that's tough to do in the context of such tragedy. But but I do remember watching PG&E and, you know, each day the stock was falling and falling as the fires got worse and worse. Give us a sense of, of just where we stand now with PG&E. So PG&E has filed for bankruptcy. Breaking news out of California this morning. Utility giant PG&E filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. The company facing billions of... I think partially because the narrative among investors was... California's legal standards can be really tough on utilities. Pacific Gas and Electric faces tens of billions in potential liability for damages from last year's deadly wildfires. And so PG&E ended up filing for bankruptcy almost in a sort of preliminary way because they weren't sure and we're still not sure what the ultimate size of the liabilities will be. And so by filing for bankruptcy, they were almost able to halt any sort of liability for themselves? I think that they did end up paying one liability payment to a group of municipalities in California that was about $1 billion or so. But in the grand scale of it, actually, you know, that's not a ton of money for PG&E. They've also put together a small fund to help wildfire victims with housing costs. Okay. But essentially, you know, filing for bankruptcy does sort of hit pause on all of those payments. 
So there are victims that are out there still waiting to kind of be made whole or to get money back from the utilities. And that, as of now at least, has not yet happened. Yes. You know, actually, I went out to Sacramento and I met a couple of wildfire victims. And it turns out that some of them have not been paid for over a thousand days or they've been, I guess, without a place to live for over a thousand days, which is really striking. And that's a huge part of the story, of course. Um, So at this point, PG&E has filed for bankruptcy. These payments are on pause. And yet, there's a way that their stock could still head higher and might not even be that terrible of an investment. How is that possible? So historically, Wall Street has sort of had the view that, okay, California's people and government are way too tough on the utilities. But we've sort of seen in recent weeks um, that may not necessarily be true. So there was just a pretty pivotal development in this whole story. Members, we are here today to present Assembly Bill 1054. There was a law that passed uh, just a couple of weeks ago that's called AB 1054. It happened in Sacramento. Um, I actually, you know, went out to Sacramento to see it happen. State lawmakers today approving a fund where utilities can use to pay for wildfires when their equipment is to blame. And that bill or that law creates a wildfire insurance fund that's meant to actually help manage the risk of wildfires in the future. And just financially, how does it really change the game? So this fund is financed about half by the utilities and about half by the ratepayers, which is just the people of California and the businesses in California. And so it provides about $21 billion between the two to manage the risk of future wildfires. And of course, that risk is the very thing that makes investors very nervous. Yes. And it also caps the potential liability that a utility might have for wildfires, no matter what the utility was doing, as long as it has a certain like safety certification that it needs to get every year from the state. So this new law sounds like great news for PG&E and its shareholders? It's pretty good news, that's for <laughs> sure. And... Because it creates this big pile of money, basically, for wildfire payments, it does almost socialize the costs of the wildfires. Right. I was surprised to see that they passed this law that seems to be somewhat pro-utility. I even wonder if we should be using the bailout word to talk about this law. Oh, man, that's a loaded word. (laughs) Um, So one interesting point about that is that back in the early 2000s, back when California was going through energy deregulation, the fallout from some of Enron's market manipulation was that PG&E, again, had to file for bankruptcy. Oh, wow. What do you know? Yeah. So last time, shareholders basically didn't foot the bill for much of anything. Uh, The ratepayers paid for a lot of the bankruptcy emergence costs. And that was deemed, like, by almost everyone as a bailout. Wow. So that was the context for this law, or the history for this law. Yes. And so I think that California's politicians today are very sensitive to the possibility that this could be seen as a bailout. So they did include some costs. Okay. Right? So uh, the utilities have to spend, altogether, between the three of them, $5 billion on safety improvements. All right. And then just to bring back the bailout thing one more time. So on the, yes, this is a bailout side of the equation, it would seem to me that if you look at how the bondholders in PG&E have done, those bonds, as you point out, are actually trading above face value. So that's a sign that no one's worried about the future of this company. And in fact, it's been saved and is still going to thrive. 
Yeah, so almost everyone categorically expects the bondholders to be paid in full, including the interest that they would be owed in in the time of the bankruptcy. Got it. And that's pretty unusual, actually, in a bankruptcy. Because often those bondholders are wiped out or lose a lot of their money as well, in addition to the, sh- the stockholders, right? Yeah. So, you know, in, in a bankruptcy, the people who are expected to foot the costs are shareholders first, Mm -hmm. and then unsecured bondholders, and then uh, secured creditors, and sort of down the line like that. And so if your unsecured bondholders are expected to get paid entirely, then it just leaves the question of how much do the shareholders get? Right. And it leaves the opening that they will actually get something. Yes. That's your story. Exactly. Okay. And meanwhile, while this is all going on, and the creditors and bondholders and shareholders are talking this through, PG&E's immediate response to preventing forest fires in some cases has been to actually turn off the lights. Is that right? Yes. Uh, So one of the ways that they're addressing these uh, risks of wildfire is that if there's a place where there's really high winds or really dry conditions and severe weather, they will actually just turn off the power to that place. Wow. Pretty, yeah, pretty surprising. Though, interestingly enough, it makes a little bit of sense when you think about the way that bankruptcy law treats like new liabilities. Like if there were a wildfire this year, that would be a massive risk for the whole company because any new wildfire liabilities would actually come in first. So they would be like the first people to get paid even before the people who have spent more than a thousand days without a place to live. Right. So that really raises the stakes if there is a new wildfire and makes it slightly more understandable that, you know, their response is, okay, let's just turn off the power and get rid of this risk entirely. Okay. And then thinking further down the line, obviously there's going to be additional change as the bankruptcy works its way through. But you bring up a fascinating part of this story and an even bigger kind of bigger picture issue, which is our utilities properly incentivized at this point? And first of all, tell us what their current incentive is. Their current incentive is to build and invest in infrastructure. Because they get paid according to the amount that they have spent on infrastructure, that really does give an incentive to overinvest in stuff, like physical stuff, um, and potentially underinvest in the less exciting, you know, let's hire two guys to trim trees instead of one guy, or, you know, let's pay for overtime for these people to trim trees in this other area. So if you're a publicly traded company and you really are incentivized to make money for your shareholders, there's very little reason or built-in incentive to, to cut trees. And there's a lot more incentive to expand your transmission lines, perhaps into areas that are more densely forested. Yes, that is pretty much what the incentive is, though it's interesting because right now California's main utility regulator, the CPUC, is asking for ideas. And one of the one of the proposals that they're asking for feedback about is, you know, basing their rate of return on safety metrics instead of on the rate base, which is basically the amount of infrastructure they have out there. There's also been a significant amount of debate over whether utilities should be publicly owned by investors. At like, all. Yeah. I, I guess this is sort of a joke about utilities in general. But, you know, it's like you you socialize the costs but privatize the profits. Uh-huh. And I, I think that people in government and people – 
you know, just households who are seeing their electricity bills go up, you know, they go up enough and people are going to say, well, why don't we just socialize the profits too? Got it. So San Francisco has been pretty open about the fact that it wants to just take its part of PG&E's infrastructure and just run it itself. And interestingly enough, Sacramento itself has municipalized or um, socialized, I guess, its energy infrastructure. And that was, you know, against a lot of pushback from PG&E and other private utilities. And it's it raises an interesting question about whether the profit motive is really the best incentive structure for a publicly owned utility. Absolutely. It's a fascinating question, and uh, we'll be sure to keep watching it. Thanks so much for joining us, Alex. Thank you. To read Alexandra Skagg's cover story on PG&E, check out this week's edition of Barron's. And as always, barrons.com. I'm Alex Ewell. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoft. The show will return next Wednesday. The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude.